Well, good day, church family. Before we get started, I want to briefly address the church in context to the current shutdown. Now, I want you to know that I meet weekly, regularly with dozens of pastors. There's, there's a smaller network and a much larger one, one smaller one that covers about a 15 mile radius and then a larger network of pastors that kind of covers the entire South Bay. And we are meeting regularly and praying together, trying to discern what is best for churches in this current situation. Now, we might not agree on everything and every last detail on what ought to be done, but I do want to share that there are some general concerns. First, it's regarding the constitutionality regarding the treatment of churches. See, we believe the church is not a normal business. It is fundamentally distinct. It is a fundamentally distinct institution that is absolutely critical for this culture. So we have been reaching out to the county to express our concerns. And what we want to let the county know is that one, we want to be safe. Two, we want to love our neighbors. And three, we want to obey civil authorities like the scriptures command us to do. But we also need some stuff to work with. And so please be praying for us as we as collective pastors are reaching out, trying to discern what is best, trying to make our case. We want our community and our governing authorities to know that we love them. We pray for them. We are for them, not against them, but we need something to work with. So uh, in the meantime, please, please be praying for the church, not just your local church, but the church as a whole and all the churches and leaders. We're all in different situations and different circumstances, but we want the body of Christ to be united and we want to be strong and healthy and do what's right before God. Now, next week, we are going to start a series on the book of Jude. But before we dive into that, I wanted to take a step back and spend some time centering on the gospel, especially in light of the year 2020. Because if we are honest, 2020 has been a little rough and we're not even done yet. So maybe to open us up, I I thought I'd bring 2020 to life in meme form, in meme form. So first off, 2019, but then 2020 be like, man, Titanic goes under. Here's 2020 in meme fashion. If 2020 was a slide, poor kid. January 1st, 2020. A few months later, April 14th, 2020, baby Yoda's aged some bit, man, but that was from April. You can imagine Yoda now. History teachers in 2073, kids, open your textbooks to chapter five. We're going to learn about the year 2020. And last one, not as sad. How was 2020? Oh, World War III almost started. And Australia was on fire. And then there was this killer virus that that spread across the whole world. But guess what? We got 1,200 bucks. Nice. And obviously, 2020 has been rough. And sometimes you just look at it, it is almost comical. But what I want to do today is center on the gospel. Because I believe the gospel is the answer to every human plight 
before us. And I don't just mean that rhetorically to be like up here preaching on a Sunday, the gospel solves everything. No, I really mean that that is not a rhetorical device. I believe the gospel is the answer to all of humanity's plights. Now, I mean that on the big level and as we'll see as we work through this on, on real small practical ways. So as we get back into the swing of things, I want to take some time centering on the gospel. Now, one of the interesting things is when people approach the gospel, they often approach it as if the gospel is for non-Christians or unbelievers. And then once you pass the gospel test, you move on to greater and greater things. It's as if the gospel is the front door and then you get to enter into the rest of the house and you leave behind the gospel in the front door and explore everything else. Another way people often look at it is as if is the gospel is like the ABCs. It's what you learn in preschool and then you get to go and learn on all the good stuff. So the gospel is for new believers or non-Christians or, or baby Christians and then you advance past it. But that's not how the gospel works. The gospel isn't like the ABCs that you learn in preschool. The gospel is the entire alphabet that all words and language must be constructed by. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The gospel is not something that you merely look at. It's something that you look through. You see everything through the lens of the gospel. And the Christian must do this. The Christian must understand that the gospel is not the front door and then you leave it behind and explore the rest of the house. The gospel is not the thing you learn in preschool like the ABCs. The gospel is not something you just merely look at. The gospel is the whole house. The gospel is the entire alphabet upon which all language is constructed. And the gospel isn't something to observe. It's something to see the world through. And this is absolutely essential for the times we are living in. If we do not learn how to do this, we will lose our minds. We have to have a gospel lens on. We have to see every human being, every situation, everything going on in the world through the lens of the gospel. So Christians need to hear the gospel regularly and consistently. There's a fascinating verse in Romans chapter one. Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now here's the key part. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And I underline preach the gospel because something's going on here. Paul is writing to whom? He's writing to Christians, believers in Rome, but yet he wants to get to them so that he may preach the gospel, that he may preach the gospel to people who are already Christians. So it's this idea that it's incredibly important for Christians to have the gospel poured into their hearts and minds regularly and consistently. Now, first off, there's a problem, though, because oftentimes when we think about the gospel, we may not actually be thinking about the gospel. 
When I talk with Christians about the gospel, what they think the gospel is, is often things that are true or implications or effects or benefits of the gospel, but it's not the actual core gospel message. I'll give you an example. Somebody might say the gospel is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, God does love you and he has a plan for your life, but that is not necessarily the gospel. It might be an implication or benefit or a truth that comes out of the character and nature of God, but it's not the gospel. So before we preach the gospel to ourselves, we better make sure we know what we're talking about. We gotta define our terms. So I'd like to do that today. So what do we mean when we say the gospel? What is the gospel? I'm gonna give you three things that shape our understanding of the gospel. First, and we've talked about this a lot at this church, but gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It means good news. It's an announcement. It's not an offer. It's not a trade. It's not a bargain. It is the announcement of something good happening. In the biblical world, especially in the times of the New Testament, there was two spheres that gave meaning to this word, one Jewish and the other sort of from the Greco-Roman world. So let's deal with the latter first. In the Roman world, when Caesar went out and fought battles, once he was victorious, an announcement would occur and messengers and heralds would go out to the surrounding territories and surrounding territories and they would announce the euangelion of Caesar, the good news of the victory of Caesar over his enemies. And oftentimes these heralds, these messengers would then talk about the benefits, the implications of Caesar's victory for you living in this area. So when you think euangelion, you think about a king and his military victories and the announcement of those victories going out into the surrounding areas and the benefits and implications of that for the people and citizens. The other sphere that influences this is the Jewish world. In the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the book of Isaiah, the good news is about God himself returning as king to Israel. It's Yahweh, the God of Israel, finally returning in power and glory and as king to rule and reign and dwell among his people. And so when the New Testament authors use this word, people are hearing it with those two spheres. It's a, it's a victory. It's an announcement. It's, it's about a king returning to his people to rule and reign in power and might and glory. So when we talk about the gospel, first thing we need to understand is it's an announcement. It is good news that's been proclaimed. Something has occurred. A victory has occurred. Second is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of the, the issues that people have with the Bible is that it often talks about things and doesn't ever give you a definition. And that is certainly true of the gospel. The word gospel appears all over the New Testament. It's all over. But it's sort of like, man, can't we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then a dictionary that tells us what some of these words mean precisely? And when it comes to the gospel, there is really very few instances, if any, where there's explicit definitions given. The closest thing we come to an explicit definition of the gospel in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 15. And this is what it says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now here's, here's the most important part. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And I've underlined the key part. So go focus in on this underlined part. This is the core. Christ died for sins, accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. Now go back to our first understanding of the gospel. It's an announcement. It's news. First Corinthians fills in what this news is about. It's about the life and in particular, the death and resurrection of Jesus concerning the sins of his people. And it makes mention twice that all of this is to fulfill what everything in the Old Testament was talking about. This is the climax of a long awaited story. The third and last component of this is the gospels themselves. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the New Testament begins with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're all called the gospel according to someone, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, to Luke, to John. In other words, when those first followers of Jesus told the gospel in written form, they gave us those four books, which is interesting because it's like, wait, how many gospels are there? Well, there's only one gospel message. That's the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. However, when an individual tells that, it becomes the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark. And then if you look at what those four books are doing, they're doing everything we just talked about. They are telling the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So if we want to be crystal clear, we talk about this announcement and there's an announcement going out. There's good news. A battle has been fought and a battle has been won. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has defeated his enemies. And when you tell that story, you are gospeling. It is the gospel according to Matthew. Or if I were to tell it today, it's the gospel according to Isaac. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus is the crucified and risen king. It is the story of his life. It is the story of his victory over Satan, sin, and death. Now, there are implications and benefits of that gospel. And we must learn to preach to ourselves regularly, daily, consistently, both the gospel message and the implications of that message. Because there's no way we are going to make it through this unless as believers we learn to do this. We must remember there is good news. A battle has been fought and won. Christ was crucified, but he has been resurrected in power and glory. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the sovereign one. And there are implications for our everyday lives because of that. So I want to do briefly is do an exercise that I've done something similar with you once before about how you can preach the gospel to yourself 
to combat sin in your life. And in this exercise, I want to give you a model and a template that you could begin doing for anything you might be wrestling with, whatever it may be in this crazy year of 2020. But first, I'm going to take one that's not necessarily indicative of 2020, but just something that people wrestle with through their whole lives. And I want to show you how it works itself out. So on your screen, on the left, you're going to see a type of lie. And this is a type of a sin. There is a cruel lie, a cowardly lie, and a conceited lie. And on the right of your screen, you're going to see the motives, hate, fear, and insecurity. So for example, the first lie, a type of lie, is a cruel lie. And the motive behind that is hate. And what I want to do is briefly walk through these three things, show you how, as you struggle with these types of sins, if you learn to preach the gospel to yourself, you can, through the work of the Spirit, overcome this and live a life in accordance with the gospel. And then after that, I'm going to show you how you, you do the same type of stuff to get you through this year. So the first, first thing, a cruel lie which is motivated by hate. So let's say there's someone you don't like and man, you, that you really don't like them. You hate them. And given the chance, you would slander or gossip about them. Now, some of you may be telling yourself, I don't struggle with this type of, type of sin. This isn't something going on in my life. Okay, well, you're going to fall into one of these categories. But for the most part, at some point in our life or currently right now, there's people who we don't like. And given the opportunity, when they're not around, we would slander or gossip about them. Now, I've wrestled with this because in my life, there's been people who, who I've really disliked. And, you know, sometimes... There are people who you dislike, but you have no good reason to dislike them. But life is brutal, right? And sometimes you hate people and frankly, they deserve it. They've done horrible things to people, horrible things to people you love, horrible things to you. And so you build up all this hatred. And so I've had people that I haven't liked, that I've hated, but then I preach the gospel to myself and I say, what is the gospel about and how does it apply to this type of sin with this type of motivation? And I tell myself, I don't like this person. I hate them. Well, what did God do for me? What does the gospel tell me? The gospel says that Christ didn't die for me on my best day. He died for me on my worst day. The gospel says that while I was an enemy of God, Christ died for me. The gospel says I hated God in my heart. I made God my enemy. But while I was an enemy, Christ died for me. So if Christ looked down upon me while I hated him and made him an enemy in my heart, how can I look out another human being and not extend the same type of grace that's been given to me? Now, granted, this is easier said than done. I'm not saying you just tell yourself this truth and then the next day you can go around forgiving your enemies. You have to preach the gospel to yourself daily, regularly, consistently. You have to have friends preaching the gospel to you. You have to have a church preaching the gospel to you. Christ died while you were an enemy. While he's hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Second type of lie. It's a cowardly lie. It's fear. And we'll make this one a little bit more lighthearted. But let's say you're at work and your boss says, 
hey, do you remember to, you remember to send out those emails I told you to this morning? And you immediately like, you know, you didn't send them. Uh, uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, let me go to the bathroom real quick. And then on your way, open up your mail and send out those emails. Now you lied to your boss saying you sent them out and then you went to the bathroom to cut, you know, make sure the emails went out. And what's that rooted in? It's rooted in fear. People don't realize how often we lie just because of fear. Now, I used a lighthearted example, but let me tell you, people, human beings, we lie regularly and consistently out of fear. And this is a difficult thing, especially for some of you. Because let me tell you, some of you grew up in environments and you had to learn to lie to protect your neck as a child. You grew up in an abusive household. And from, man, before you could even talk, you were already figuring out ways how to be safe. And so your whole life has been constructed on keeping yourself safe. And I need to lie to this person and this person because that's how I maintain security, safety, and sanity. And that's a very painful place to be. But the gospel has good news for you. The gospel has good news for you. So that you don't have to fear like this. Jesus even goes as far as to say, don't fear any human being because they could only destroy your body, but fear God who can destroy your soul. Now that might sound like a scary thing, but you have to understand that as a Christian, what's the point? Christ died for me. He's not going to destroy my soul. Whatever men can do to me doesn't compare to what God has done for me. A battle has been fought and won, and I am the recipient of that victory. So you learn to preach the gospel, learn to walk in less and less fear. The third one, the conceited lie, and this is rooted in insecurity. And we all wrestle with this because Americans are incredibly insecure people. Um, but uh, uh, you ever been around, and this happens with people all the time, like someone goes, oh yeah, man, I went fishing. Caught myself a, a, a massive striped bass, man, like 22 inches. It tasted so good. And then immediately there's always that dude who's like, oh, 22 inch striper. Yeah, I went last week, man, caught, you know, probably 30, 30. I don't know how big it was. Didn't even bother to measure probably this big. You know, that person who always has to one up. Maybe you're that person. Maybe whenever someone says something good that they've done, you have to instantly insert that you've also done something good. You can't ever just be happy for someone else. You have to one up. You've done that. I've done this. And you're always explicitly talking about your own accomplishments because deep down, you're not proud of yourself. You're insecure. And you're just trying to feel accepted by people because you don't feel accepted. And how do you preach the gospel to yourself? Do you know how valuable you are? Do you know what Christ did for you? He fought a battle. What was that battle? Christ crucified. Why are you so concerned about proclaiming your human accomplishments? Why are you so worried about being accepted when God himself has declared you acceptable because of a battle he fought on your behalf? You don't have to be insecure. Now, again, you don't just magically tell yourself once that truth and it goes away. 
You have to preach the gospel to yourself. You have to know the implications. You have to do it to yourself and you have to have friends around you that do that. You have to have a church that comes alongside of you and is doing that. You preach the gospel to yourself. Now, I just showed you how that works with one particular lie, but let me show you as we get ready to close what that looks like in 2020. Three things on the screen, worry, suffering, and anger. So much worry right now. And there's a lot to worry about. Jesus says, don't you know that God takes care of the birds? The birds don't store up food for themselves in barns. Don't you know that if God cares for a bird, don't you know how much more he cares for you? Do you know how valued you are? God himself knows every hair on your head. And even if the whole world crumbles, he has prepared a place for you in his family. You preach the gospel to yourself. Or what about the issue of suffering? So many people suffering right now. What does the gospel have to say about human suffering? Well, it's real and honest. First off, it says in this world, you will suffer. It also says that God himself suffered on a cross. So it doesn't give us pie in the sky ideology. It gives us real life grit. And it says, whatever you are going through, and let me tell you, as a pastor, I've seen more suffering in this year than I've ever seen. I've ever seen. And it's too much. The gospel says, whatever God's people suffer, it is but a momentary affliction compared to what has been prepared for you. So suffer righteously, Christian. You have no idea what's prepared for you. Gospel doesn't make the suffering goes, go away, but it gives you a truth to live in and walk the hard path. A lot of angry people, a lot of people concerned about injustices, a lot of people concerned about this problem or that problem, people concerned about the shutdown, what's right, what's fair. And I, I'm not... I'm not even going to get into any of that, but I will tell you the Christian postures themselves differently in this world. We check our anger because Paul says, don't be angry and seek out vengeance on your own. Don't go seek out vengeance. Why? Because God cares about his people. He cares about the way his people are treated. And even if it looks like his people are being mistreated, in the big picture, God himself says, vengeance is mine. So you don't take that into your own hand, Christian. You leave it to God. So you see, the gospel orients us. It gives us a way of looking at all things. And we in 2020, need to desperately have a gospel lens. The gospel isn't the door that we walk through and then we're past it. It's the whole house. It's not the ABCs. It's the whole alphabet. It's not something you look at. It's something you look through. That's what the gospel does. And it gives you a different perspective on everything. And as we close, there's a string of 
verses that I'd like to read over you, almost like as a, as a blessing. Before I do that, though, remember these exercises. Preach the gospel to yourself. Get friends who can preach the gospel to you. Find out where you're struggling and apply gospel truth to those. What are the implications of the gospel? What are the benefits of the gospel? One of the number one reasons why we're not good at this is because we're not reading the scriptures. The scriptures give us those verses that we need to tell ourselves. But if we're not in the scriptures, if we're not memorizing the scriptures, we can't tell ourselves these truths. So we need to be in scripture. We need to be in prayer. We need to be preaching to ourselves and having people around us that do that. Now, I've showed you this string of verses before, but I thought it would be a good time in 2020 to read biblical truth over you and take this as a prayer and a blessing over you, that this is what God says. This is, these words are faithful and true. So no matter where you're at, good times, bad times, whether you're terrified, whether you're doing okay, whether you're angry, whether you're sad, this is what God's word has to say. For we know we can cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. We know if we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we will abide in the shadow of the Most High. We will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Psalm 91. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. And we know in times of desperation, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And we know that in this world, we will have trouble, but in him, we can have peace because he has overcome the world. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, we're gonna get through this. If God is for us, who can be against us? We will get through this. The church is victorious precisely because Christ is victorious. We're going to close with communion. My whole point today has been, we need the gospel. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to teach it to each other. And one of the ways, one of the most beautiful ways that God enables us to do this is through a meal. The meal is how we preach the gospel to ourselves. And so let's prepare our hearts as followers of Jesus 
to do this gospel meal together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Broken for you. The king's body broken for you. You are accepted. You are loved. You are cherished. You were bought with the price. You are blood bought and sealed for this king. His body broken for us. Jesus says, take this and remember what he's done. Jesus takes the cup and he says, take this. This is the blood of the new covenant. And he says, as long as you take it, you are promising to proclaim my death and resurrection until I return. And so Lord, as your body here on earth, as you are in heaven, we promise to proclaim your death and resurrection until you return. Father God, as we transition back into worship, I pray that the gospel would just be poured out upon us, that gospel truth would saturate our hearts and minds, that we as a church would see the world through this gospel lens. Lord, we love you. Help us to remain faithful in difficult times. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Please stand as we recite the Lord's Prayer together. Church, we will get through this. If God is for us, who can be against us?